Hello and welcome once again to Stuff We've Seen. This is Jim. Uh, with me is Teal. And we are stepping back in to the Spielbachtagon for more of Steven Spielberg. Uh, we didn't get too far on the last episode. Um, but yet we did. We made good progress in a way because um, we got to talk about the Fablemans a lot. So, uh, you know, we're not going to probably go into depth in any of his uh, films uh, this time around, but we are going to try our mightiest to get through everything that we didn't get through the last time. Are you ready? Are you ready, Teal? Uh, I'm ready, and I, I'm not sure how... We may go more in depth on one or two of these films. Okay. If you, if you but want But there's to. a few... There's a few that shouldn't exist. I know, and yet, though we might end up talking about those the most because we're so horrified by them. Yeah, so uh, I have to say I feel like I can't escape the Spielbachticon because I've been catching up on these. And the other thing I've done in addition to seeing the ones I hadn't seen before is I've been watching uh, parts of different ones. Oh, okay. So you've been just getting a flavor for what you've seen. Uh, yeah, because even just watching the t first 10 minutes or so uh, will remind me enough of the movie. Right. It's it's a refresher. And I go, oh, yeah, okay, this is what the story is. And here's what it looks like. And uh, so, yeah, it's a little bit refresher. And I've sort of been doing that just to kind of, in the midst of all this, I'm doing some reevaluating of Spielberg as, you know, looking at his lifetime body of work now that he's asked us to do by making this Fableman's movie. Yes. And, uh, you know, full disclosure, I have not gone back to rewatch all these weeks, except for the Sugarland Express, because I, it was really so long ago and I'd only seen it one time. Um, and there are others that if I had the time, I would have loved to uh, have uh, jumped back into just to take a peek. But um, one of the things that I'm going to ask you and, and we'll put into context with certain films is I recognize that in the next batch of movies that we'll be talking about, they happened when we were younger. And yeah. so that experience and why we ended up like loving Spielberg as kids might have been one thing then, and we may have a slightly different opinion of it now. Yeah. And so I think that uh, I may be judging whether you loved it, liked it, didn't like it or hated it, um, a little bit based on maybe what you liked or didn't like in the past versus the present. Yeah, and I think, okay, so when are you, when are you guessing for, the past or the present? Well, I'll tell you as we okay. go along. Well, let's, let's <laughs> okay. get right into it then yeah. with our next film. So 1981, and you know, for any of the longtime listener out there who remembers way back on our very, very first show four years ago, mm -hmm. uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark was one of the movies that uh, we talked about because we were talking about experiences as a kid growing up that made an impact on us. And so I think I've told the story already of going to a sneak preview of Raiders of the Lost Ark, not really knowing anything about what the movie was about. And I don't know, it kind of looked like a Western to me. And I really wasn't interested in seeing a Western. <laughs> I didn't, they, you know, they weren't talking like Indiana Jones. Like that, that name hadn't entered the lexicon. And yeah, then it got renamed, yeah. it, which is silly. But uh, I don't think I knew that Harrison Ford was in it. And even though, of course, in 1981, I had seen, you know, Star Wars right. and I had seen uh, Empire Strikes Back, 
I don't think I was even making a connection that, oh, Harrison Ford is uh, Han Solo. <laughs> like that's. Just- I made that connection, and I made it because I have an older sister who was a fan of Harrison Ford as Han Solo. So she said, oh, it's this new movie with Han Solo. Pause, because I want to ask, since I'd already told my story once, I do want to ask you about your experience, because I don't think I know your oh, experience. I, I didn't tell it on the show? The first time. Oh. I don't think you did, or I don't remember. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get okay. into that when I ask you. So now it, this was well, this. I'm, oh, I thought you were asking. Okay. It, no, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. You're not. See, this is why it goes so slow because you just don't let me lead. Okay, go ahead and direct you. Go ahead. Okay. So, so again, I didn't know about the movie. My dad takes me to the sneak preview. He didn't know anything about the movie. Very in very short order, I knew I was watching something different and exciting it, it probably started when harrison ford has to uh, take off with the idol and the adventure ensues and now i'm hooked but it the moment in my brain that i found myself saying to myself this movie is one of the best things i've ever seen was when we get to marion's bar and the nazis come in and they're looking for the uh, medallion and then there's the shootout and uh, Harrison Ford comes into the rescue and all this stuff's going on. When she, uh, Mary in there, and Harrison Ford get leave the burning bar yeah. and she says, you got more than you bargained for because until, <laughs> you know, because I'm your goddamn partner. I, I That was it. The audience I felt like every single person in the audience was about as surprised of what they were going to see as me, even though there's probably people in that audience that were anticipating the next Spielberg movie. And I was just like, I don't know what's going to happen next, but I love this. And then the first time in my entire life that I remember an audience breaking out into just a, a unanimous applause and almost a standing ovation when Harrison Ford whips that gun out and shoots the guy with the sword. Yes. <laughs> it became it became a moment, but I, I was there to witness it happening. It almost felt like you know, in real time. It, it to me, it felt like I was the very first audience seeing this, and everybody in the audience, which was sold out, and and back then this was a theater that had at least five hundred seats in it. It was so exciting. And then the cheers and the applause throughout this movie, you know, it instantly became my favorite film of all time at that moment. And of course I loved it. And it's no secret that you had to love it because no boy who was 10 or 11 years old at the time, which you and I were, could not love a movie like this. I thought you said we weren't going to go in depth. That's not in depth. That's a setup. <laughs> We're not going to talk about the artistic merits of the movie, but but uh, you know. So that's a recap of my experience. And now you just said that your sister was a fan of Harrison Ford. Yes. Um, obviously, by the end of this movie, I knew who Steven Spielberg was. I knew Harrison Ford, who was no longer Han Solo to me. He's he's Indiana Jones. Yes. And I am a fan. And now I can't wait for to see what Spielberg is going to do next. And. What I want to know, I know you loved it then. I'm kind of curious about if you'll still love it now, but what was your experience seeing the movie? I don't remember exactly why. I think my sister had something to do with it, but my parents also wanted to see it. So we all went as a family. And my 
so I knew from the first 30 seconds that I loved this movie when the Paramount Mountain transforms into the mountain, <laughs> uh, there was a gasp in the theater. Interesting. Yeah. And I, it, like a positive one. People are like, oh, it was sort of a wow. Well, it's almost like, did I never, no, no, who, who, why didn't anybody think of doing that before? It, it, well, exactly. And, but the way it, it sort of dissolves and then you're in the movie, right? It's a very interesting way to welcome the audience in. And uh, then that whole opening sequence, I was with it 100% and for the whole movie. And, but my theater experience was very similar to yours in terms of where there were cheers and uh, when the applause happened. It, almost identical, which makes me think that this movie, that's, that's part of its universal appeal, is that audiences all get it together and get those moments at the same time. And so anyhow, then we went and saw it again. And then we saw it again. And then uh, it came to the second run theater across the street where it was a dollar per movie. And we would go every day after school and see it. So I saw it probably 20 times that summer that it came out. That's certainly, I was like, I saw it like five times in the theater, which was a lot for me um, during its initial run. But yet, you know, I, I didn't have, I had a multiplex and then I had a smaller multiplex near me and I had like scores of second run theaters and drive-ins. And so I had exposure to so much variety that I never had that experience of, well, here's the little dollar theater in town and this is what's playing. So I'm going to go again and again. Yeah. Well, no, this was in, we were living in Dallas, Texas. Right. So you've told me some of your experiences yeah. in places like that, but see my, my wife has those types of experiences with certain movies because she did also have that thing where she lived in a town where there was only the small theater and so if you, you know, wanted an escape right. from whatever, you'd go to that movie and you'd see it dozens of times. And yeah, we just, my sister was obsessed with it. I was obsessed with it. Uh, there were like special screenings for the school. I, I remember being at a screening with probably a three to 400 seats filled with 10 year olds. Wow. Now, what was that like? That was amazing. It, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like, like our, our parents had those experiences being dropped off on a Saturday afternoon and the whole theater was just nothing but kids. That's what this was. Yeah. But it was through the school. So it was multiple field trips, buses of kids. Uh, so not their parents weren't even there. Uh, there were teacher chaperones, but it was crazy. You know, uh, people just went nuts during it. Yeah, you know, the, I don't have a ton of those types of experiences, but I will recall a few years later, and it's funny because critics at the time did not like the movie, but I'm like, critics aren't kids. I went and saw opening weekend, The Outsiders, mm. and the theater was filled with almost every kid that I recognized from junior <laughs> high. And that was an experience, right? Yeah. Because it was a movie that was really speaking to that particular age group. That's really interesting. So anyhow, yes, I, I love the movie and I still love the movie and I understand the ways in which it's problematic and I don't care. This, well, okay. There may be a few things. He, he gets more problematic later um, yeah. in, in future installments, but you know, obviously there's generations of 
kids that loved it or maybe don't think it's that great anymore that never never had or will have the experience of seeing it in the theater when yeah. it came out um much like we are probably i mean i don't know how lucky we could say we are but we got to experience star wars when it was the phenomenon and it really is hard to describe to a kid today or even an adult who wasn't born before star wars for them to quite understand just how much of a phenomenon that movie was it basically when you think of 1977 oh, yeah. you think of star wars and when i think of 1981 i think of raiders because in addition to that uh it really started the year before with empire but that was signaling that in the 1980s summer was going to be an important time to go to the movies. Well, and not just that, that teenagers love to go to the movies and uh, that you could make these four quadrant movies that that kids in summer would show up for matinees for. Yes. So, you know, because I think like the ultimate age for something like Raiders is teenagers. Like yes, yeah, or even the even the tweens, like you know, we right, were. right, yeah. You, but the sort of YA audience, and uh, but you know, my parents loved it too, but not to the extent that you know my sister did at age thirteen or fourteen. And that's interesting. You bring her up because that was that is a question that uh, you know some listeners might wonder: uh, Did this movie appeal to just boys, or did girls like? Raiders of the Lost Ark too, and it sounds like what you're saying is you had the teenage sister and she loved it. Ana- anecdotally, yes, my sister loved it. Okay, let's move on. Okay. Oh wow. Okay. So, um, but 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 I I'm keeping us on we, schedule we, here. I know, and I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate that, <laughs> but at the same time, there's something that you said in the last episode. Yeah. But I think it it bears uh, mentioning here is that while Spielberg doesn't always offer the depth and layers that you'd crave um, as a film goer that you like when you want to go and see a movie again to kind of experience different layers or get something you didn't get it the first time. The one thing that Spielberg is a master of is giving you a film experience that you want to experience again. It has nothing to do with trying to figure out what his intentions were. It's really about watching the spectacle again and getting that 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 exhilaration well and he's really good at using shots to build tension and you know those move in on the wide-eyed wondrous faces shots that he does in every movie like you know those work well particularly in something like raiders where it's kind of a cartoon it's mostly just a fun entertainment. And yes, it has other layers and you can analyze it and people certainly have, but uh, I'm not looking to be challenged by a film like that. I'm looking to just have a really fun time. And part of that is charm. And you'll see on some of these other movies uh, that they're, it's not that I think they're bad movies. I just, they don't charm me. It, Raiders is charming. Yeah, and it's a wonderful performance by Harrison Ford. And one of the, I mean, this is maybe, of course, in the script, but one of the things that I think, um, whether they realized it or not, made the character so great is that you have this amazing setup, the little um, introduction, almost like a James Bond opening, if you will. But then you see Harrison Ford when he's not exploring. Right, you see him in the suit, yeah. 
boring professor of archaeology. And that, to me, is a very fascinating thing, that when he's not off traipsing around the world on these adventures, he's just teaching class. Yeah. And that was a great cut. And uh, another moment when the audience reacted. Okay, so, you know, I couldn't wait for his next movie. And then, you know, you and I both read all these little magazines and we know that the next movie he's got, or he's got two films. One is coming out as E.T. the Extraterrestrial. And then this other horror movie that I'm looking forward to called Poltergeist, which is, you know, directed by somebody else, uh, Toby <laughs> Hooper, who then I saw earlier that year. I watched, uh, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, scared the crap out of me. So now I'm really excited. But somehow the Spielberg name was really, it was capturing power. He was producing the yes. movie and it just felt like this was going to be, you didn't think about, oh, Toby Hooper's Poltergeist. You thought Steven Spielberg's Poltergeist. I actually thought Toby Hooper, but. Well, you're just you. Well, no, it's because I was so into Chainsaw Massacre that I was thinking this is... Well... I No, I felt like the Spielberg stamp was on it. Yeah. And then, you know, it came out prior to E.T., so it almost felt like a bonus. It was a warm-up for this other movie. Uh, And Poltergeist seemed like it was going to be the blockbuster. E.T., they really weren't predicting blockbuster. It was supposed to be his smaller film about an alien, uh, though it was very secretive. Nobody knew much about it. And... I went and saw Poltergeist with my friends. It was a Saturday, and it was huge lines to get into the theater for all the movies. You had to wait to get tickets. You couldn't buy tickets in advance right. back then. And I remember my sister was in a different line with friends. They were going to see, um, uh, was it uh, Rocky Three, which I'd already seen with my dad. And then that was sold out, and then they tried to get into line with us. And uh, they did <laughs> get in, but they had to sit somewhere else. And uh, and we had to sit up really close. I mean, this thing was like packed. But I remember my disappointment was that it didn't feel scary enough to me. Oh, <laughs> I was hoping weird. for super scary. Okay. Yeah, I didn't find it scary at all. I wanted more scares, <laughs> but I'd already been exposed to R-rated films. Right. Uh, but the audience was loving it. And so I really liked Poltergeist. And then, of course, saw it again and again and enjoyed it. But I don't think I ever loved it. The way some have. I and never So I don't know it. what your thoughts was. You never did, but did you like it? Poltergeist? Yeah, I uh, I like it. I've, I've enjoyed it. I've seen it a few times, but I never fell in love with it. And we know that it's some people's favorite horror movie. They just love yeah. it. Yeah. And I, I had the same response where I didn't think it was that scary. And I was a little disappointed and it wasn't enough of a horror movie for me. And... But I also, you know, was into sort of B-horror gore movies. Yeah, it just seemed too tame for me. I mean, it was PG, probably PG-13 today, but PG-13 didn't exist then. Yeah, so I, you know, I it's, uh, I don't hate it. I don't, I, I'm, I'm uh, yeah, it's not something that I'm telling my kids they need to watch, whereas I do tell them they need to watch The Shining. Right, <laughs> right. And if the kids find out about Poltergeist and want to watch it, great. Watch. Right, exactly. Yeah, no, but I'm, but it's not going on my list of movies that I think, you know, if you want to watch a horror movie, uh, there's several in line before, uh, before you get to Poltergeist. Now, of course, a couple weeks later, E.T. comes out. Again, this is another movie we've talked about in the past. Yeah. I don't think it's a secret to say that I love it, and it's not a secret to say you love it because you just recently we went and saw it again with your, your kids. I did. I just saw it in the theater again, and it was really fun. And, uh, yeah, I, I I think we've talked about our experiences with it. I have many. 
it was a pretty formative movie, and I it was the first time I had cried at the movies. And that's exactly the same way with me. It's the first time I cried, and I'm with my 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 like very macho buddy Glenn and his younger brother, and. I remember trying to fight back the tears because I was afraid of what he was going to think until I turn over and the key what like bawling like a baby. And so was his brother. Yeah. And we couldn't, it was, and then we were crying, not just one, I mean, multiple times during that film. And then, you know, to also then go from that to feeling the hairs just jolt right up off yes. of your arms when the moment that all those kids' bikes lift up in the air when the guard or the FBI yeah. or whatever trying to stop them. I mean, it's such a magical movie. I, I do think of it as an actual film masterpiece. I do too, yeah. Um, because I can't find fault in the film. <laughs> no, I can't find fault in the All the Spielbergisms work great. And yeah, it's a great story. Yeah, it's a great story. Well, that that's another sort of general comment about Spielberg is that he really benefits from a good script. And what was that one was written by what Melissa Matheson? Yeah, and who was married to Harrison Ford? Not at the time, but they knew each other, and then they got married, and then they got divorced. But uh, but anyhow, yeah, my daughter loved ET. Both kids love it. It's. I think a timeless classic movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, hey, look at how fast we're moving. Um, okay. <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Temple wait, of Doom. Wait, 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 wait. You're skipping one. No, I didn't. Twilight Zone. Oh, no, no, the no movie. that doesn't count. That, do, that doesn't count because it's not a feature. You're talking about his segment, uh, his the segment. Kick the Can segment. Well, in it, I think it Twilight deserves, Zone, the movie. It deserves mention because it's the reason I wanted to see Twilight Zone, the movie. Yeah, it just just knowing Spielberg was involved, I was excited, and his was of course the worst segment <laughs> in the whole. Thing. It was terrible, but it was the uh, it was how I convinced my parents to take me to the movie. They didn't want to go, but I ta- I talked up Spielberg, and they liked Spielberg, so they decided to take me, and uh, that was the Twilight Zone movie. Okay, on to the next one. Well, I I want to say I think. I saw that first in the theater by myself opening weekend. You know? oh. like, I, I, well, because there was a lot of things already swirling about it because of the crash that happened. And that was awful. And that actually um, ruined Spielberg's relationship permanently with John Landis. Yeah. And he was really horrified at what happened. And I think it, it really pulled his interest away from the project. And, right. you know, so it's a problematic movie for many reasons. Um, the John Landis segment, which starts the movie, is terrible. Spielberg's, you're just wondering, that was the first time I was like, you had all of these Twilight Zone episodes to choose from. And yeah. That's the one you picked. It's It was just not good at all. And it, it kind of showed me that, well, I guess Spielberg can't do everything. See, that's why I thought this was worth the mention. I knew you'd have yeah. something to say about it. Okay. Well, I so, always, you, you throw something at me, I'm going to say it. Um, yeah. So, you know, okay. so Temple of Doom. Right, so, that, yeah. So, Temple of Doom. Now, this is tough because I think there's two evaluations you have to have with this movie. The one as a kid when you first saw the film, and then the one later. Now, I am going to say that your first time going to see it, you liked it. And now later, 
you know, maybe it's a guilty pleasure to say you like, uh, maybe you like parts of it, but you might be leaning on the dislike. And I feel like that's where I'm at, where it's certainly better than some of the other Indiana Jones offerings in the future, but it is problematic. And I was disappointed from the first day that I saw it, opening day, because I just didn't feel like it lived up to what Raiders of the Lost had done. Yeah, so I sort of liked it when I first saw it. I thought it was kind of fun, but it it felt like it was not up to the first one. It was not classic level. It felt just kind of corny to me at the time. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not a I'm not a guy who usually likes stuff that deals with a lot of kids. And so, like the end when all the kids are rescued, it was like. Bleh. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I felt. I really was like, oh god, you know, like I felt like Indiana Jones is not a guy who's rescuing a bunch of kids. And well, not, not only that, he's got short round with him the whole time. Uh, there's the child king. Yeah, I didn't like the child king. So, when's the last time you saw this movie? Not too long ago, believe it or not, because I was watching. I watched Raiders of the Lost Ark with my youngest in the past year for the first time and enjoyed it. And uh, again, it's the right. upteenth time I've seen that movie. And then they were doing a marathon and Indiana Jones at Temple of Doom was on next. And he watched like the opening and then left. And then I ended up getting sucked in and watching most of that. So, uh, and, 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 you know, the stuff that people complain about now are very evident and, you <laughs> know, embarrassing evident. Yeah. and, and and Spielberg himself is embarrassed. Uh, the back then, before the world of social media, people were upset at just how violent the movie was. Oh yeah, and it it's in large part due to that movie and several other uh, PG rated fare that happened earlier that year uh, and during the summer that the ratings board decided to create PG thirteen. So uh, that and Gremlins, which came out right, that year, yeah. they were the two big catalysts for because you know. Uh, Parents were horrified at Gremlins. We think of it as silly fun now, but they were horrified yeah. uh, because of that. I, I rewatched this about three weeks ago. Oh, you did? Yes. I I, uh, I I was sort of on a little bit of a curiosity about white savior movies, and this one came up in my research. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to check that out. <laughs> I'm going to watch it again. I'm going to get a little Spielberg flavor. And there were two, because, th- you know, I'm on the Spielberg kick. And I just watched one of his later films, which I didn't like. And then I watched this. And the first thing I noticed was that the direction on a technical level was really good and much more lively and inspired than his recent film that I didn't like. And uh, so on a technical level, I thought very well done. The script, aside from being problematic, is just a bad script. Uh, The storytelling is really disjointed and uh, they basically get to the temple and it plays the entire temple ritual with them watching it. Yeah. And then it plays the entire temple ritual again with them taking part in it. And that's basically the second act of the movie. It's like 40 minutes long of watching the same ceremony twice. Oh, and by the way, it's a, they repeat it a third time. A year later in Young Sherlock Holmes. Yes. <laughs> this in the last. I'm like, what's going on here? So it's just, and also like Raiders of the Lost Ark had all these different locations. And so it felt like... You know, the little airplane between locations was really fun. And there's maybe 
three different locations in Temple of Doom. It's, it's just, and it's super problematic. I mean, <laughs> like that could be a whole episode in itself, and I don't really want to get into that. Cause- no, that's not what they, we could we could do an Indiana Jones episode. And you know what? Maybe maybe we will in the summer when the new one comes out. Yeah. So let's get into some of those intricacies. So should we keep moving? Um, well, 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 wait a minute. Let me think here. The, the, here's the good stuff. And, and it was the stuff from the first time and every time. There are a few amazing set pieces. Yes, absolutely. No, on a technical the, the opening level. Of the, movie, it, the opening of the movie, you think you're in for another Indiana Jones ride. Yes, because yes. that opening with the musical number and the, the Mohachi yes. and the antidote, Mr. Jones, and all of that. And then it goes into the to the plane to then the crazy slide down the mountain. I mean, it just, it's like nonstop. It's nonstop. And then it's just like, oh no, there's these poor locals, these poor natives who uh, their village is dying because some mean, I, well, wait, I'm white. I can solve your problems. The old white savior. Yeah. Um, it, and of course, it's weird. It is a weird thing. I can't explain it. But for some reason, in the first movie, when you're tying in a biblical artifact and yeah. acts of God, you buy into it, it works. But then when you've got mystical stones and hearts being ripped out and stuff, it just doesn't work. I don't know. <laughs> and they I just, just can't explain it. And half, half the movie in running time is inside this temple. And it's just not, it's not a great set. It's just, and none of it makes sense at the end of the day anyway. Yeah. The chase there in the, um, in the coal mine cart, whatever. That's awesome. It's fantastic. The, uh, yeah. The scene on the bridge is great. Yeah. Um, so, th- so there's definitely good stuff in it, but I have a friend um, from back in high school. This guy, he worshiped Indiana Jones. He got an Indiana Jones hat and he loved this movie. It was his jam. But again, I never loved it. I have a Trekkie friend who loves uh, Star Trek V. So, you know, these people exist. <laughs> no, I have a side story of that that I can't tell okay. right now. But um, Okay, let's so let's, keep, let's keep moving. Let's leave Temple of Doom behind because it's, right. you know. So, 1985. Yeah. Spielberg is going to get serious. It's his first, like, you know, labeled serious movie, even though the Sugarland Express was kind of like a drama. But, um, and he's done, you know, I mean outside the supernatural aspects of things like Close Encounters and things. He did do serious movies, but this was supposed to be a big departure for him. He is adapting, what, Alice Walker's novel, The Color Purple. And I wanted to see it, of course, because it was Spielberg. Yep, ran right out to see it. It's the film that really um, launched the arrival of Whoopi Goldberg mm-hmm. and Oprah Winfrey. Um, you know, he's working with primarily uh, a black cast and he's telling a black story, which today is problematic for many reasons. Yeah. The big knock at the time was that the novel delved into more sexuality. In the Spielberg documentary, he talks about how he was shy and embarrassed to do those scenes, and that's why he left them out. And yeah, and I think that's a bad excuse. Uh, it's a terrible excuse. I'm thinking he also probably got pressure from the studio. And of course, at the time, I saw it. I couldn't opening weekend. It was only playing in like Boston and Harvard Square at the time. And this is when they used to just do platform releases where you right, got a couple right, of weeks yeah. in a big market. Uh, my friend and I went. 
and I loved it. I thought it was a great movie. I thought it was the best film of the year at the time. Of course, yeah. And it's beautiful cinematography by Alan Davio, uh, a great uh, musical score by Quincy Jones. So Mm -hmm. he he wasn't using John Williams at the time. Got tons of Oscar nominations and yet notable exception, Spielberg was left off. Yes. <laughs> and a lot of the reason hadn't didn't have to do with the fact that he was too shy to show the sexuality. It was really that the time the Academy was really biased against Spielberg. They would give him nominations for movies that were undeniable, like E.T. and Raiders. Right. But, well, this serious Spielberg, I don't know if we can accept him. So he didn't get nominated. <laughs> and- you know, the winner that year was Out of Africa. And we want to talk about problematic movies. Oh. I recently, in the last couple of years, saw that <laughs> film. And it is still the slog that it was the first time I saw it. And it's just really embarrassing in a lot of ways. Well, I think what's interesting, though, is that both of these films, Color Purple and Out of Africa, nobody watches or talks about anymore. No, I mean, I, I think that it's color purple's got kind of like a scarlet letter on it in yes a way. It, it does and mo- partly because a white director mm-hmm. directed the story that if you really think about it and i think about it in different terms now than i would have for many years it really should have been told by a director of color yeah the, the movie is problematic have you rewatched it recently no so the last time i saw this film was on like cable in the 90s and so it's been over like maybe probably like 25 years you do you rewatch it not the whole thing but i watched enough to confirm my suspicions which are that this is a gritty story with a glossy telling it's just a little too fake and beautiful and so i feel like there's a conflict uh, between how it's told and what it's telling. I think that the Spielberg, who later would direct Schindler's List and Private Ryan, yeah. would have done a better job in the grittiness of this film. Absolutely, yeah. But it's it's just too polished for the story it's telling, I think. Yeah, well, that was when he couldn't let go of the conventions that yes. he was masterful at. Yeah, and so it, as a result, the movie feels a little bit fake to me interesting so did you what did you what was your thoughts did you i i would say maybe you liked it when you first saw it yes and maybe now you're just like dislike yeah just dislike i don't hate it i don't uh, and i dislike it just because i feel like it just fails to accomplish what it sets out to do and i was still excited to see spielberg though i was you know i i wanted that to win over out of africa I did too. But it it was sort of, I was, because of Temple of Doom, I was already starting to lose a little bit of my shine on Spielberg around this time. I think I was a denial <laughs> denier. I just didn't want to know that Spielberg <laughs> could produce anything other than awesome. And I loved it. I really did love The Color Purple. And yeah. maybe I was clouded a little bit by Spielberg, but I, I thought at the time it was great. Now... I can only base it on when the last time I saw it, yeah. and I still liked it. I, I can't say I dislike it, but uh, you know, I'd have to rewatch it now. He doesn't make anything in '86. Yeah, um, he produced a lot of stuff. That a lot of things were, you know, executive produced by Steven Spielberg. That became a stamp in the '80s. But in 1987, the end of '87, I was really excited looking forward to Empire of the Sun. Yes, which had epic masterpiece. 
best picture Oscar written all over it from the beginning. Yeah, you saw the trailer, and yes. that was what everybody was assuming, that, oh, 87, yeah. we're waiting and waiting for the great movie. Oh, it's coming. It's Empire of the Sun. And I saw it opening night. I was working at the movie theater at the time, and I went to a midnight show of it with my friend because I couldn't wait. And probably seeing a movie like that at midnight <laughs> is the wrong time to see it. Uh, and... I was really disappointed. Um, it was one of the first Spielberg movies I saw that I have to say I disliked. I did not like it. I felt what you just said with the color purple. It was all high gloss and no real substance behind it. And I felt like the movie never got going in the way I wanted. And I felt it got really long and boring during the encampment scenes. Um, and there was a couple of moments where I thought it was going to get somewhere and then it didn't. It had a couple of interesting moments, uh, especially when the Christian Bale, his first performance, he was still a teenager. When he saw the uh, nuclear blast, I thought was interesting. Um, but otherwise, I just didn't like the film. And it's not a movie I've gone back to other than a couple of years ago, I watched like the first half of it again. And because I'm older and understand history a bit more, a lot of things that didn't make sense to me at 17 made more sense. But I, I really can't say I like this movie. Uh, don't hate it. I just dislike it. Now, you, I'm going to predict, I, I don't know what I'm going to say. I, I think maybe when you first saw it, because I think you've had a different opinion than me. I want to say when you first saw it, you kind of loved it. And maybe now you like it. When I first saw it, I was disappointed. Oh, you were? Just like me? Yes, I, I was. I was disappointed because, I, I, for a lot of similar reasons to you, but I basically felt like it didn't, it didn't take off for me. And this is sort of that charm thing where I just, I, I kept thinking this is beautiful and wow, isn't this well-directed, and wh where's the story? How come I don't care more about this? And, and it, you know, it's a good story, but the film just fails to take off, and I have not seen it since. Uh, so I'd say, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I dislike it, but... Well, I think it's powerful enough to, you said too, that like it's just a film that it, it left you so cold that you never cared to rewatch it. it. Basically, yeah. And I had a, a sweet mate in my freshman year of college. And I think it was the first time it shocked me because now if we're thinking about it. It's only like a year later. And this kid, it was his favorite movie. And I was like, you're kidding me. And he's like, oh, no, this movie is, a, is amazing. So everybody has different opinions. And I thought that was fascinating. I had a friend, well, actually a mutual friend of ours who uh, loved everything Spielberg and worshipped Spielberg and really thought this was kind of the mo one of probably the most amazing Spielberg movie ever that it really was on the level of Lawrence of Arabia or Gone with the Wind or you know that kind of uh, epic classic and I just didn't feel that way at the time I think I know who, who that is, but we'll, we'll save that for another time. <laughs> um, okay, so we're going to keep moving, and, and this is great. We're, 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 we're buzzing along. Uh, 1989, so nothing in 88, but 89, yeah. he ends the decade, his third Indiana Jones movie, Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade. Uh, one note was very interesting. Through all three of these Indiana Jones movies, 
Spielberg kept continuity by working with an, a legendary cinematic uh, cinematographer master, Douglas Slocum, who I think yes. he kind of coaxed out of semi-retirement to do Raiders. Oh. And then Slocum only just, you know, just kind of as a favor. He did the other two Indiana Jones movies, uh, but he was really old at the time. And this was okay. the last time he ever worked with Indi- uh, with Spielberg. Uh, so I was obviously very excited. I knew there was going to be some kind of um, opening or some kind of uh, flashback that included a young Indiana Jones with River Phoenix playing him. And of course, River Phoenix uh, was you know, this up and coming yeah. actor who I loved and loved, loved, loved him in Stand By Me. Yeah. And then he gave like an amazing, amazing uh, performance in a film uh, directed by Sidney Lumet uh, called Running on Empty. Yes. And he was nominated for an Oscar, and it was kind of like a signal that this guy was going to go do great things. And sadly, you know, his life ended very early, and we never got to see the promise. So we got to see some of it, I guess, in his brother, <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix, yeah. um, who's had a great career. But I was very excited to see Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade. He was getting back to the Nazis. Uh, and, of course, uh, it had uh, James Bond himself in the movie, right, playing his dad. So that was exciting. And <laughs> and why and what are you going to tell? Don't tell me what I'm you not, thought of it. I'm yet. not going to tell you. I'm just waiting for you to guess because. Oh, okay, so I'll, I'll tell you my my thing first. So you know, I, I I couldn't. I had tickets with my friends to see it in Boston, seventy millimeter, and it was going to be for like like that weekend. I couldn't wait. I had to go see it at the first show at my local theater because I was so excited to see it. And I'd seen the trailers and I was excited. It was back from my <laughs> freshman year of college. And, you know, I enjoyed it. And I was kind of like, well, it's a little bit more, it reminds me more of the playful fun of the first movie. But, you know, it was okay. And then I saw it the next day in 70 millimeter with my friends. And that was an exciting experience. And I, I noticed immediately just the difference with the sound and also the the, the really intense photography in the 70 millimeter. And uh, I had a great time. So I was having a fun time, but I really wouldn't say I loved it. I think I liked it. And I haven't seen it a ton of times over the years, but I've seen chunks and i've watched it you know a few times all the way through and so it's not really my favorite spielberg movie but i like it i like it and i would say that you probably feel the same way i think you like it but it's not you know it's not the greatest movie of all time i don't like it you don't you don't even like it no i don't even like it well why don't you like it and this was even the first time you saw it. even the first time i saw it this was really I just felt like I was growing out of Spielberg and that, you know, I was leaving childish things behind and I was going to go watch a Fellini film. Well, yeah, you were serious. You were getting ready to go to NYU. Right. So I was getting a little serious, but also I felt like I felt like the movie stretched my suspension of disbelief too much and that. And the, 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 the Knight Templar guy inside the yeah, vault like, was a little ridiculous. <laughs> yes, exactly. Whereas the first movie, I, what got me about it was that I could mostly buy it and that I was sold on the supernatural element by the end of the movie. I, I, you know, yes, of course, it's cartoony and you're suspending disbelief, but I bought the first one and 
I did not buy the third one. I thought it was silly and goofy and uh, undermined the realism and just uh, the, the, the jokes were not fun for me. I didn't get the comedy. The Denim Elliott character and the Sala character, they were a little slapsticky in this. Yes, it was slapsticky, and I just I didn't get I didn't like the jokes. I thought they kind of undermined my sense of wonder and buying into this whole story, and it just seemed like uh, they were having a goofy time. And I, yeah, so I don't like it. So again, Spielberg not the greatest at comedy. Terrible, terrible at comedy, and you know he immediately set out to prove that once again. Yeah. I mean, there's stuff, you know, one thing that I didn't really like or care for in the opening yeah. was the River Phoenix part. It, it underwhelmed me. Yeah, me too. But I rewatched it in the past year. I told you about this. The, they were showing them back to back to back. Yeah. And I watched the opening and I hadn't seen the opening in many years. And watching it again, I was struck at how precise and exact River Phoenix was able to mimic mannerisms of Harrison oh that's interesting in a way that I just didn't pick up before yeah and I was like boy this guy really was would have it was a great choice and then there was something that is not stated and maybe it's been mentioned before but I never picked up on until watching it this time there was another adventurer that was after what River Phoenix wanted yes and it almost like seemed like a guy that respected his gumption Right. They never mentioned it in the movie, but I am now surmising that that was Ravenwood. Oh. And so I started to look at this film a little differently okay. when it was setting up. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. But all the other things you say are totally valid. And yet it's so interesting that we somehow we love Indiana Jones and we're going to sign up for these adventures, even though every adventure after Raiders of the Lost Ark wasn't that great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and and they and the fourth one, I mean, well, we haven't gotten to that yet, but that is the worst. It's just yeah. So anyhow, should we move on to the next? We're going to move on now. Now, let me ask you: Were you excited to see this next one? This is interesting that you say that. Sometimes you can just sense a dud. <laughs> okay, and I always was going to give Spielberg the benefit of the doubt, but ever ever since I had heard about this project, always that was coming out at the end of '89, um, so I had already been at uh, NYU now, that, and I had seen trailers. The trailers were underwhelming, and it was a remake of an old story. And I already was sensing why Spielberg are you making this movie? What what interest <laughs> holds you here? And Holly Hunter wasn't an actress that I really cared for that much. I am not a huge broadcast news fan. And then and that had come out at the uh, yeah. you know, at the end of '87. And you know Richard Dreyfus love stories. He's an angel. I don't know. And so <laughs> I did see it when I was on the, the holiday break from college with my uh, good friend Lonnie and you know there wasn't a lot of people in the theater we were there opening night and I said oh this movie's gonna take <laughs> how did and it do I never I don't think up. it did very well um I don't know if it was like a suit it didn't probably didn't cost the way some of these other movies cost but I remember the movie's over and we both kind of looked at each other and was like okay well you know it wasn't awful i mean we didn't hate it but what was there to really enjoy and so i think i would just was like it was the dislike pun i was like and i kind of remember saying well 
I've seen a lot of his movies now, and I guess one has to be the worst, and this is this is going <laughs> to fill the bill. For, and then and that's where I came off it. And now, I believe you told me you had never even seen the movie. I had never seen it. Because you were off the Spielberg train, and you weren't going to waste your time. Well, I, I, I wasn't rushing out to see always. Uh, Nobody was. I think because of the marketing, <laughs> you know, had it had it taken off, I probably would have seen it, right? But it did not take off, and the reviews weren't, they were mediocre. And so I just figured, I don't need to, I don't need to rush out to see that. So I didn't see it. And then I watched it a few weeks ago. Okay. So- I'm going to say you didn't like it. I'm not going to say you hated it, but I mean, you can't have liked this movie, right? You know, so I I decided <laughs> I decided that I was going to like this movie. Oh, you did you you convinced yourself going in. I'm going to like that, yeah, damn it. I convinced myself everyone else is wrong about this movie except me. I'm going to be right about it and I'm going to Keel, find Keel's going to be the reevaluator. I'm going to be the reevaluator and talk <laughs> about what a hidden gem classic this is. And, uh, and then I watched it Yeah. and, uh, not only is this the worst Spielberg movie, (laughs) this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. (laughs) This movie. Come on now. Oh, it's, it's shockingly bad. The script, (laughs) the script is an absolute mess. Uh, Spielberg cannot direct actors in comedy every joke falls flat it's supposed to be a funny movie it's not funny because it is i don't think so oh it is oh it's not funny yeah it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be charming and funny didn't and, it have that rick rosovich or something in it <laughs> i don't know he's uh, like the new love interest of her he's the new love interest the like the pacing of the script is totally off like he doesn't die until 40 minutes in and at this point you haven't bought into their relationship but you're you're sort of they're not supposed to have too good a relationship because you have to root for them not being together at the end and so it's about him letting go but oh god it's just so i because it's the holidays i've watched for the first time in my life a few uh hallmark holiday movies yeah i don't i I don't go there yeah well i thought it would be funny and so (laughs) it's something that the family is kind of doing ironically is uh watching in a home Uh, so i've seen maybe two or three of them yeah and you like those better I well, I have to say this always is on that level, and it, but it's not like the Hallmark movies. They understand they're like so bad they're good kind of thing, uh, but always actually tries to be a good movie and fails completely in every single way. There is not a genuine uh, moment of love or charm or humor in this entire thing. It is a dreary affair, and it was miserable trying to get through it. I thought, after always, okay, he can only go up, right? That yeah. he can't get any worse, and that this will be the worst movie that Spielberg will ever make. But then, he doesn't make anything in 1990. Uh, 1991, Christmas of 91, so it's like, you know, two years later, he comes out with Hook. And there was a lot of anticipation for this. I remember the trailer looked good. And at the time, uh, Bill and I, Bill from Queens, we were we were good buddies. 
and we went opening night to see this. We were going to see it in 70 millimeter. We get to the theater and it was playing in multiple theaters and the screening that we had showed up for wasn't 70 millimeter. It was, we would have to wait a half an hour and we're like, I, I think I was going to wait, but then Bill's like, no, let's just see it. So we see it in like a half empty theater and my jaw dropped. I mean, I thought this movie was horrible. I didn't like anything about it. And once they get to Neverland, those kids were ridiculous. I hated them. <laughs> and they made them like 1990s kids and like super hip. And I felt like Spielberg had lost his touch. And for years, this movie was on the, my list as one of the worst films Oh, I've ever seen. Never mind. I just, I mean, I hated this movie. So when you're looking at hate, I hated, hated, hated Hook. I know some people think it's a classic. Some kids grew up with it. So again, if I was 10 years old, would I have had a different opinion? Perhaps. Despite a few cool moments, it had all of that awful sticky slapstick that you talk about. And I hated, yes. I hated the goofy cameos. By now, Spielberg had all sorts of Hollywood pals and they were showing up on set and he was sticking <laughs> costumes on them. Glenn Close is like in a beard playing a pirate. What the fuck? Okay. It was terrible. And you had Dustin Hoffman hamming it up and he, it was just so awful, <laughs> awful, awful. Now, I don't okay, know. Let's, I'm going to say- your- I'm going to say you hated it too. You have to. Please tell me you hated Hook. I kind of like it. Yeah, you're lying. You're just trying to stir it up. You can't. You can't because I'm going to shut the podcast off right so now. I, yeah, I went to see this. It was Christmassy. So you saw it when it came out? I saw it when it came out. It was, uh, I was on some kind of date, I think. Okay. And uh, so I was, you know, when you're on a date, you don't want to see a movie you hate. Right, you (laughs) in general because you want to like be in a good mood and feel satisfied by your movie. Like by it's like you don't want to go on a date and have a a terrible meal. Well, I don't know. You know, Bill from Queens when he was still like dating his wife, yeah, or even when they they would go to the movies and if it sucked, they decided that to make themselves feel good, they would stand up proclaim loudly this is horrible and they would leave and they would make a big point to let other people know how bad it was i think they did that with a sheltering sky <laughs> and so they were smarter than i was because i sat through the whole thing um but okay <laughs> so you saw hook so i saw hook and i i, I sort of willed myself into wanting to like it and so it the process of watching it was just having that resolve and that joy and that hope for humanity slowly eaten away by this like horribly painful acid bath that <laughs> that this movie is that I hated that lost boys they were so- and isn't there a skateboard at some that, point? That's the thing is though, all that stuff. It reminded me of that horror show that came out a few later years later, Toys. It was such a misfire to me. It was so tone deaf and misinformed, and uh, you know Spielberg like high on his own supply of I, I don't know what, but. I had looked forward to this and, you know, there were all these rumors about Julia Roberts and uh, all this onset talk. And I guess it went over budget and over schedule. And then it's just a dreary, miserable, horrible experience. And it made me hate Robin Williams and it made me, and it made me angry at Spielberg. 
and I and I I carry that anger to this day. And I've seen parts of the movie since then, and just find every part of it just it, it it's a bad movie. But it's not as bad as always. I think it's worse, and 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 I'm going to hold fast on that because I at least found it was like whatever, and I liked the airplane firefighting sequences. Hook, I liked only part of the hook that I liked that I can even remember was the flashback when Wendy was young, and it was played by um, Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, there was like a moment; it was a little eerie, and I'm like, this is a, I'm like, this movie I want to watch. I don't yeah. want to watch this other shit. So I don't know what he's what he's doing, but yet the movie was a hit. Yeah, I know it was. It a made hit. a ton of money, and and there are a lot of people who were younger than us when they saw it. And if you saw this at age six or seven on DVD or something, you may think, "Wow, that uh, is now part of my childhood." So I'll defend it as being. And I understand that people have sentimental attachments to holiday movies, whether they're good or not. And so I can sort of understand that with Hook. Okay, so we're moving on. I mean, yep. we're doing good. I don't know if we're doing great, but we're doing yep. good. Okay, let's uh, keep him moving. Okay, 93. So he doesn't make anything in 92. 93, though, he makes up for it because he does two films. And the first yes. one that comes out is, I mean, it's the mega box office, Bonanza Jurassic Park, uh, also shot by Dean Cundey, who yes. did hook so he worked with dean cundy a couple times he hadn't quite found the cinematographer that uh he was going to live with the rest of his uh, filmmaking life <laughs> and that was going to happen after uh so jurassic park tons of anticipation of it i remember just thinking of when i heard about what it was yeah. and, and of course you know again people have to remember very secretive you saw nothing you didn't see anything about right. what this movie was going to be well except the book but then there was the book, right? And I, before the movie came out, I read the book, the Crichton book. And I wasn't too jazzed before I read the book because I was like, ah, oh, it's taking a place of dinosaurs, park, probably because <laughs> I knew what technology offered us with dinosaur movies. So I, I really didn't know. And of course, Hook is still fresh in my mind. So I'm like, this is the first time that, oh, Spielberg's got a movie coming out. Okay. But then you know, closer to the film coming out, lots of talk about, oh, you're going to see these mind-blowing effects. And, uh, you know, I got excited. You were out in L.A. at the time. I yeah. was in L.A. at the time. You were getting ready to leave in a few weeks. Yes. But the two of us, we went to see this. Now, we've talked about this on the show. No, I don't think we've really actually really? talked about it. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I didn't tell this story is that, um, <laughs> I'm going to tell the stories. It, this was a time where you still had to get tickets in advance. I remember oh, getting, yeah. I got tickets in advance. And the first thing, I went to this huge theater was going to be playing in the Avco. Yes. Um, and they were known for showing movies in 70 millimeter. And my first surprise was the film wasn't going to be in 70 millimeter. And I'm like, <laughs> right. it's dinosaurs. <laughs> like, you got you to gotta have it on a big screen. Uh, and that's when I found out that, you know, they were kind of debuting this new DTS digital technology right. where the sound was on a separate cd and it, the sound was supposed to be better and I, I was a little disappointed just in that but i remember you and i with our tickets we had to we had to wait for like two oh, yeah. hours in line to get yeah. a seat for this thing right and it was packed it was packed and that's the part that i know i didn't say on this, the show <laughs> so we get in right we got great seats but there was this really, really disgusting, I mean, I'm talking the most disgusting, decrepit, 
cartoonish <laughs> fanboy you could ever imagine. Yeah. Very overweight, sat next to you, taking up half of your seat. Yes. And he smelled. And he freaking smelled real bad. Yes. I could smell him, but you were sitting next I to him. I was sitting next to him, and there was no way to move at this point. This place was so packed. You were so repulsed, almost to the point of, of being nauseous, that at the time you were a smoker, and yeah. you took and ripped a cigarette butt off and stuck dump filters up your nose. I stuck the filters up my nose and sat there breathing through my nose, and it, 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 that wasn't... <laughs> That, that was probably the worst thing about it, th this guy, but it wasn't the only bad thing about him. <laughs> I, 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 he was talking and stuff, right? He also had like a big bucket of chicken that he was eating. <laughs> and, <laughs> and with like fries and, you know, crinkly tinfoil. So he was having a full meal and he was smacking his lips and... Uh, and he uh, he talked constantly. He had, he had a copy of Jurassic Park, the book, with him. And he would comment during the movie on the differences between the book and the movie. To nobody, by the way, just himself. Exactly. And But also, any time a dinosaur showed up on screen, he would say what kind of... Oh, it's a, it's a triceratops. Uh, uh, it's a brontosaurus. And I felt bad that you had to sit next to him, but I wasn't going to be like, oh, I'll switch seats. I mean, there was no other seats to, you know, we couldn't move. It was completely packed. And so, you know, that in itself tainted your experience. Um, and, and it was quite an experience to see it with this big yes. crowd. There were some moments and there was like definitely a lot of audience whooping it up. Um, we, we left the theater and I remember... I liked the movie. I liked it a yeah. lot, but I didn't, I wasn't in love with it. I didn't think it was the greatest thing ever. And of course, you know, again, it was hard because I think I was trying to reckon when I thought Spielberg was so great and that and I've wanted to recapture that magic. And it just isn't there. But you, you, you just, you hated it. Uh, you, I mean, again, <laughs> you really at the time. You hated it. You wanted to, to wear that stamp of hate it just so you could be a detractor? Yes. I was definitely being contrarian, but I I had some good points, I think. You did, and they're all valid, and it's definitely like you take the dinosaurs away, the rest of the movie is kind of clunky. It's pretty clunky, and the first half hour is so boring. Yeah, not a lot happens in the first half hour, true. Yeah, uh, you know, the, the, it's just this incredibly slow setup, which kind of works in the book because he's going into the, all the science and detail, and that's kind of interesting, the way Crichton sort of mixes in those nonfiction and science elements. But those are boring in the beginning of the movie. Then there's that stupid cartoon where they explain the premise. <laughs> yes. I hate that thing. But it, even still, it's just like, we're going to tell you what the movie's about for 40 minutes. And then we're going to show you some dinosaur scenes and everything else is just kind of there in the service of some special effects sequences. The thing that I did recognize, though, I, I did recognize while I didn't love it, I was imagining what I would have thought if I was a kid seeing it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, if I was a kid, I would have loved this. And guess what? 
kids did mm-hmm. this movie broke every box office record yep. people went to see it again and again and even though it wasn't my favorite film and isn't something that i felt that i had to see a second time well i ended up seeing it a second time with my dad who was out there he oh, wanted to yeah. see it then i moved back to massachusetts <laughs> and it was still playing i mean it played for months but then my mom and her boyfriend had not seen it so guess what I saw it a third time. And then my friend from, you know, high school, my friend Lonnie, he hadn't seen it. So guess what? I ended up seeing it a fourth <laughs> time. So I find I find myself seeing the movie four times in the theater. And I think that in much of the way you go on an amusement park ride, it's when you can board that Jurassic Park train time and again. And I recognize that for many kids in a certain generation, I mean, if you came up, that this movie is a classic to them. And I don't... I I don't argue against their feeling that way because, you know, Spielberg, in large part, makes kids movies. Yeah, and uh, and this is a kids movie, and so to begrudge the fun, you know, like yeah, I hated it at that age, uh, and I like it better now than I did at the time. But I, st- you know, I still don't love it. I just. Like I'm not excited to watch it or excited to show it to my kids. Whereas oh, your I, kids haven't seen it. No, they don't care. But both my kids have seen it, and for a while, my oldest, when he was a, a certain age, he he was a little obsessed with the dinosaurs. And oh of course, yeah, yeah. The new Jurassic Park movies, and I haven't seen the latest one. They saw it when they were out visiting uh, their grandparents in Texas, and you know. The last, like, there's been three Jurassic World ones. Yeah. And I, you know, the first one was ridiculous, but there was some fun moments. The second movie I thought was a piece of crap. So I had no desire to see the third one, and it's playing on, like, uh, Peacock, and I have no desire to see it. I have, I just have not wanted yeah, to see no, it. Yeah, no, I've had no desire. So anyhow, yeah, Jurassic Park. But then that same year, in addition to Jurassic Park, Spielberg is shooting another movie while he's doing the effects on Jurassic Park. Yes, he's in Poland. And this was definitely, like, I mean, he gave uh, the kids something to watch in the summer, and he was going to give them another uh, movie to watch at the end of the year. Schindler's List. And he did, another great kids movie. (laughs) No. um, No. You know, talking about going back to seriousness, uh, Schindler's List, and suddenly... The advanced word on this movie is fantastic, right? Yes. This is, you know, what we were expecting with Empire of the Sun, right? Which is the epic, serious Spielberg movie that's going to win all the awards. And so I'm looking forward to it. I'm back in Massachusetts. It's playing opening day uh, only like in Boston, right? It came opening day just to Boston and one theater, the uh, Nickelodeon, went in the first show got tickets sold out theater i'm by myself and i watched this movie and i would say that i'd heard some things about it but i at the time it's hard again when a movie changes so many things yeah and changes how violence is portrayed on screen then all these other movies, it's like, you know, anytime there's a, a, a trailblazing film, yeah. then everything follows. And so then you watch it later and it doesn't have that same impact because we've seen so much violence right. that it's hard to remember that graphic, realistic violence had never been shown quite 
in a way that it was shown in Schindler's List in 1993 at the time. And I mean, I was rocked watching this movie. I was disturbed. I was upset. And everyone was. And everyone wanted more of it. When after the uh, extermination of the ghetto scene, yeah, I had to get up. It, it, it wasn't like I, I, if I got panicked, I could leave, but I had to get up and catch my breath and go to the bathroom yeah. and just process and say, I mean, how much more is this going to be? I mean, it was, you know, it was a good story, interesting story that was kind of like a catalyst to tell a deeper story about just how awful. And it was a reminder of what the Holocaust really was and the human toll and just the kind of pure evil that was at play here, because clearly people don't seem to remember. And even now, I think people just, uh, I mean, you know, we have media reports of people like, you know, sim- celebrities sympathizing with Hitler. And so just yeah. when you think that maybe uh, Spielberg's movie isn't important anymore, it's a reminder that we don't have a lot of Holocaust stories with a lot of impact uh, since schindler's list and it's been a long time yeah and so i lo- i mean i hate the word love i don't I, love is a weird movie uh, right but you think it's like you think it's important and it's a great film i thought it was the best film of the year and it finally won spielberg best directing oscar i think that yes. was uh, worthwhile and it really was now we've talked about the movie here and there and you have a lot of picadillos with the the film and so i don't think you love it i would think that at least when you saw the film back in 93, that you thought it was a good movie. Absolutely, yes. And I thought it was a good movie. I had a very similar experience of seeing it and just kind of being floored by it and, you know, taking a day or two to recover, right? Because just the imagery. And then over the years, I started to sort of get critical of it. Uh, and well, actually not over the, it, it happened pretty quickly. Maybe the second time I watched it, uh, on video and I started to have some issues with the logic and the script being a little too simplified and clever and, uh, feeling like that there was sort of a disconnect there with the subject. So I had, you know, and then. As the years went on, you start seeing like Terry Gilliam's opinion or Kubrick's opinion or some critic here and there. And you start thinking about the film in a slightly more critical way. Godard, another example, uh, somebody who doesn't like the film. And so I like the film. I'm officially putting it in the like category. And it's not that I don't love it. It's that I have complex feelings about it. Yeah. I think as a film, like on a technical level, I think it's without question Spielberg's best up until that point. He took the camera off the tracks and uh, went handheld for the first time in his life. And he really expanded his own cinematic language. And he needed a different cinematographer that had a documentary background. And that was his start of his relationship with Janusz Kaminski. Yes, and that, of course, you know, it freed him to do different things. But of course, you know, well, we see how it ended up. So, <laughs> yes. So Schindler's List, I feel like, is a really important film. Uh, I think everyone should probably see uh, something. Yeah, see it probably uh, once in their life as a reminder of the Holocaust. You know, I feel like it, it, it's it, it's weird to say this, but I feel like 
uh, Schindler's List is the most digestible Holocaust movie compared even to something like uh, Night and Fog, you know, which is a short documentary. I I feel like has a, a much more profound impact on me than Schindler's List does. There's some of those Spielbergisms that you see now make the film a little even though it's i think his most complex morally complex uh he does a lot to not make rafe finds too much of a cliche movie villain and so there's a lot of ways in which he's sort of working against his more polished instincts and those make the film great this is stuff that i noticed the first time and i thought why i thought rafe finds character was amazing yeah is that yeah i mean this guy is cold and evil and not that he explains himself away but there is this conversation that he has with schindler and yes. it, it reminds me of um hannah arndt's uh, banality of evil yes and it's almost like he recognizes well this this is a chapter that's going to pass and in you know the right circumstances people are capable of anything and that right you know he's almost kind of like saying that you know i won't always be like this kind of thing yeah. and there's also this other humanity that he has in a weird way where he falls in love right. with the servant and he's he he's having a conflict within himself that he's actually finds this woman attractive and he's trying to justify that with his beliefs of how he, you know, he hates uh, the Jews. Yeah. Um, and so there is a lot of complexity to the Ray Fiennes character. And the thing that over time, now I watched Schindler's last list in the past year. I watched it with my right. oldest who had never seen it. And I watched it with my wife who had never seen it because she was almost too afraid to watch it. Right. And she's, she's like five years younger than me. So she would have been much younger when it first came out. Right. And the thing that surprised me watching it again was because of 30 years of films and film language moving, yeah. using this, you know, more realistic violent approach to kind of show you that violence isn't just kind of cartoony action film. Right. I may have been desensitized, plus I'd seen the movie several times, and I didn't find the violence as shocking. And my son, who has seen a ton of you know, films in the era of violence being different than it was, he afterwards was like, I didn't find it dis that disturbing at all, which I, of course, found that disturbing. <laughs> yes, that is disturbing because it's one thing to not find the violence disturbing, but the concept of the Holocaust and the, uh, I mean, those scenes I feel like are just the inhumanity is so profound that it's disturbing on that level. But what I did find more interesting this time was the performance um, and the character, the the um, Liam Neeson's yes. Schindler, and just how interesting and complex his character was. And again, I was 23 when the movie came out, and I'm much older now, and I've had a lot of business experience and things, and I just I didn't quite understand what his character was doing in Poland right. at the start of the movie. And I got a much better understanding and, and of what he was trying to put together and how he was looking at himself as his entrepreneur and that these uh, Jewish prisoners really were going to serve him well yes. to you know make his fortune and how he slowly turned and and I was since I know the journey his character goes on I, I was really interested in rewatching the scenes that marked his 
shift in behavior. Right. And I actually think they're well, well put out. Now, again, like I said, I know you have a lot of issues of it, and I don't think we need to go into too many of that now, but I just, I got something different out of Schindler's List this time around than I was expecting. It's interesting because I'm not putting this in my love column, but I think it might be his best film. I do think that it is um, Spielberg's best film, though if I was only able to take one movie out of all of the films, I would take Jaws because it is just a piece of entertainment that right. even though yeah. I've seen it so many times and I just, again, saw it again, it even though I get bored at times, because I've just, I mean, when you've seen a movie that many times, it's not much, but I still, it works for me every time. And so I think that it's his ultimately most successful movie, but this is probably his best. Yeah. And so those are two different categories. Yeah. Hey, guess what, kids? It doesn't look like we're going to make it all the way through the filmography, but I, I think that we could get through one more. There's another 20 films. That's yeah, well, least... I mean, in this chapter, obviously, we're going to oh. have to go for three parts. Oh, yeah. But... Okay. Yeah. Let's do one more because this uh, one will be quick. Okay. So, this is weird is that after Schindler's List, maybe, maybe Spielberg needed time to recover from that experience. He goes for his longest break making a film. Yeah. He doesn't make a film in 94, doesn't make a film 95 or 96. But then in 97, he comes back with two movies. And the first of those is, of course, his summer entertainment. And he makes a sequel to Schindler's List. No, um, he makes a sequel <laughs> to Jurassic Park, The Lost World, 1997. And Because there was a sequel book. There was a sequel book to work yeah. off of. And, you know, he probably was paying duty to you know, Universal or whatever. You know, like, we want to make this movie. Here's a bunch of money. Because I don't think Spielberg, other than Indiana Jones, is usually that interested in making sequels. Yeah, and he did with Indiana Jones just because he uh, promised George Lucas that he would. And I think he also loves the character. Yeah, I think so, too. And it's but, fun to do. Yeah, it's, I, I, I don't know why he chose Lost World to follow up Schindler's List. It, it could have gone in a light, slightly different uh, direction, his career at that point. But he went back to making a dinosaur, a goofy dinosaur movie sequel. Yeah, now look, I remember... You know, we weren't anywhere, you know, distance-wise near each other when this world, this came out. But we would often get on the phone and yeah. have lengthy conversations about films. So I, I pretty much know how you felt about this film. But I, I got to see it the night before. It was really the start of doing these night before previews, yeah. which are so like kind of embedded into a weekend box office number these days. So me and all my chums and my girlfriend at the time, we all went to see Jurassic Park Lost World. And, you know, we had a good time because it was a bunch of us. And there was a couple of moments. There's this one where, like, the, the car's hanging off over yes, the cliff and the that's glass a great is breaking. Sequence. I mean, yeah. it just shows you what Spielberg does best. Um, but then, you know, not all set pieces are equal. And there's this horrible <laughs> thing at the end where the dinosaur, like, attacks the, 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 the mainland. And it's just, like, doesn't even look good. And you're like, what the? F is this not finished? Am I seeing a rough cut? What is this? And, uh, you know, but I mean, I, I think I kind of liked it at the time. Not now. I mean, I, did, I just can't rewatch this movie. Um, but I know that you, you just have got to hated this movie, right? Well, here's the thing. Because... <laughs> I think I liked it more when I first saw it than I thought I was going to because I Because you had such low expectations. I had such low expectations and what I got was a cheesy B movie 
And uh, I was like, you know, it's it's not bad for a ch- I liked the dinosaur at the end with the bad effects. And <laughs> I, I, I thought that was awesome. Oh, my God. And uh, I like Jeff Goldblum. And I've watched the movie maybe once or twice since then. And it's just not good. I've only watched it from beginning to end once. Yeah. That night. That was it. Never had that much. I was like, yep. Not unlike the first one, which I had to see in the theater four times. Uh, this one, one and done. Yes, no, and I only saw it again because, you know, I was at somebody's house and their kids were watching it. Right. And so, yeah, that, it's, I have no desire to ever watch it again. If all of Spielberg's movies were this lackluster, we would have gotten through this list a lot faster. (laughs) Like, there's nothing to talk, what what else is is there to say about this movie? But I kind of feel that way about, uh, you know, I just rewatched Temple of Doom, but I would have felt that way about that also. I, same with Always, I just watched recently. Had I seen it when it came out, we, we would have... It Always is not mentioned in the documentary about Spielberg. Good reason. But they talk about 1941 and how that failure was really good for him to learn that he, you know, but blah, blah. And then, but Always, it's like it doesn't exist. I think that George Lucas is doing a uh, special edition of Spielberg's filmography without Always on it. All right. So, Teal, I hate to cut you off. Yeah. Um, but I, I really feel like we need to, to, to do one more before we end this episode because... I, I, I didn't want to tell you this in advance, but I, I brought in a special guest Uh-oh. for this next film. Okay. So, and again, he, he had a, he traveled a long way to I'm get excited here for this. about this. Yeah. So I just want to let you know, ladies and gentlemen, Anthony Hopkins <laughs> uh, <laughs> decided that he was going to come in. Hello? <laughs> Do you know where you've been, Till? And where have I been? Do you know where you've been? Do you know where you're going? Amistad. What is what is Amistad? <laughs> Gentlemen of the court. <sighs> this esteemed movie that only Steven Spielberg could make. I tell you, it's quite a thing. <laughs> a lot of anticipation about the slave ship Amistad. Where were they going? Where have they been? Are they free men? What about this Declaration of Independence? <laughs> I have an idea we should just rip it up. If it's not meaningful, what about the Queen of Spain? I'm sure she'd be happy if the court would just bend to the will of the president. <laughs> oh, Amistad. Another movie that came out the, later that year, 1997. Yep. And it was all that buildup. This is going to be the big uh, oh, yeah. Spielberg this- uh, film. Yep, this is, he's back. This is like, he took a little break with that dinosaur movie, but he's following up Schindler's List with Amistad, which is going to do for slavery what Schindler's List did for the Holocaust. Yep, and that was the buildup, right? Yes. And so, uh, I was looking forward to this film. Opening weekend, I saw it with my uncle. Uh, He was, you know, he's a history junkie, and uh, the two of us went. And, you know, we got through the whole thing. And I think at the end of the movie, my uncle thought it was great. But I, I, I was like, I was very underwhelmed. 
Mm-hmm. I didn't like the cinematography by Janusz Kaminski in this movie. It, it bothered me a yeah. little bit. Um, I thought that when they showed the middle voyage, that was an interesting scene, but it felt like the middle passage. I, yeah. I think it was, it felt like it was thrown in there more for the shock value yep. than it really was supposed to be in the story. Um, and maybe give it a little bit of teeth for people to talk about, to kind of show and understand the injustice and what these people aboard the Amistad went through and why yeah. they you know, did what they did. So, I mean, it's not a bad movie. I didn't hate it. Um, and I wouldn't say I didn't like, didn't like it. it just, I was just really middle of the road on it. And I wasn't surprised that it didn't uh, land on the best picture or director yeah. uh, for Spielberg. Though Anthony Hopkins, for his spirited Quincy Adams, <laughs> um, did get nominated for his big 10-minute uh, scene. Uh, and that always just cracked me up with his little, hey, Yama was like a little troll. <laughs> But he did look like John Quincy Adams from the from the. He did, pictures. yeah. He did look so, okay, like so what's your guess for me? I'd say you didn't like this movie. Yeah, I have you seen it again? <laughs> no, I didn't. I, I've seen parts. Hey, I, I watched that ten minute segment today <laughs> in anticipation of the show. <laughs> it, it's not a good movie, and it's it's where the John Williams music really doesn't work. It bothers yes, me. It feels yeah. very Spielbergy, and it's just all wrong for the movie. Well, and, but also like you said, with the cinematography, he had made such a leap with Schindler's list that I think he thought, okay, let's keep going, but there's no leap here. This is like Spielberg asleep at the wheel. And he does a bunch of these movies starting with Amistad that are asleep at the wheel movies where he's just like, Oh yeah, just uh, put the camera over there, slowly move in over there, then track to the side and blah, blah. You know, he's just got it all worked out and it really doesn't matter what's going on in the story or the script in that scene. You just shoot it the way it looks good. Yeah. There's these several of these movies he gets involved in, and we're going to talk about it. Part three. Now that we discovered it's going to be part three where you do question what was his interest in the project because when he got down to actually shooting it, I don't think, I think he must have lost interest. Yeah. And it's interesting. He talked about these a little in the documentary and he said, he said, the way I'm talking about these makes it sound like I'm a patriot and an optimist. Well, I guess I am a patriot and an optimist. And these are his optimistic America wins. America is great victory for America, uh, sort of patriotic uh, propaganda films. (laughs) But I mean, it is based on a true story. Um, There's elements that are true in there. And but it's there's several other movies in the later half of the filmography oh, here that, that fit that definition of this sort of patriotic view of the law will will conquer all and our goals of freedom and equity and all these things. Well, you know what? When he made the movie, we had a Supreme Court that you felt like no matter what side that they might be on politically, that they would do the right thing. And now we don't have that anymore. So right. maybe, yeah. you know, he had optimism that I don't know if he has anymore. But listen, guys, listen, gals, everybody out there, um, you know, hopefully you're enjoying the, the Bill Octagon <laughs> because you're going to have to go through a third episode. And then, then you know, then that's it for, for Spielberg unless he comes up in other things. But uh, we are going to have to do it. Hopefully third. that's it because it's, I'm not torture for you. (laughs) It is. It is. It's torture for me. I'm so glad I've seen all his movies now because now I I know that I'm not going to have to watch another one for at least a few years. Well, wait, had you not seen Amistad? 
No, 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 no. Oh, okay. I just was curious. I don't know which ones you hadn't seen. Oh, like, yeah. No, okay. No, I had seen Amistad. Well, it seems like so far you had only a couple of gaps in your filmography. Yeah, so. j- no, just a few gaps. Yeah. All right. Well. Uh, but Amistad sucks. We're ending on a down note so that the next episode we can start on a high note uh, with Saving Private Ryan. Um, at least I think so. I don't know what Teal thinks yet. We're going to find out in episode three of The Spilboctagon. All right, everybody. Hey, look, if you're hearing this over the holidays, have a great holiday season, a safe one, and a healthy one if you can. I am your host, Jim, and over on the other side of the speaker is the co-host, Teal. Wait, are we really on different speakers? I don't know. I, you know, <laughs> my brain, I mean, we've just spent 94 minutes talking about Spielberg. My, I'm kind of burnt oh, out. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, All right. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye.